welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. I'm Richard, your announcer, coming to you again wherever you happen to be on this beautiful day. Biblical Truth Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 Resultant exhortation, encouragement, and our soul's assurance. The Bible teaches that prayer is the chief and perpetual exercise of faith. Prayer cannot help but express the hope and joy that are inevitably attached to faith. John Calvin Our purpose, igniting a growing, biblical, dynamic, sincere, soul-satisfying communion with our Savior. And now, once again, here's your host, Fred. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I am the voice of the podcast. Some might be saying the erstwhile voice of the podcast, but I am delighted to be back, to be back from a little trip that we had, and then to be back more than anything else over the last couple of weeks. Some profound things have happened, so I am glad to be back, and those profound things have actually caused me a little bit of reflection. They were emotionally different than I thought they would be when I initiated them. Nothing terrible just emotional. And so it has caused me, as you will hear during this introduction, a little bit of extra introspection. And that's why it's taken me a while to get back to full episodes. So I do apologize about that. But again, I am glad to be back and humbled again to be able to do the podcast and to be able to serve the Lord in any way at all. To do the work of God, we've talked about this a little bit before, but to do the work of God is a is truly a constraint. If you are doing what God has called you to do, you understand this. You feel constrained to do what you do, no matter what it is. And we even find this in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says this, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I if I preach not the gospel. And you have heard me say similar things in the past. And in the Old Testament, it's the same. First Samuel 12, 23, as Samuel is telling the people that they are going to get what they wanted, a king, but that they wouldn't like it. He says this in verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you but I will instruct you in the good and right way. So he was constrained to keep on teaching and to keep on praying for them, as Paul was constrained to keep on preaching the gospel. Paul will go on to say, by the way, it is not a matter of boasting if you're compelled to do something. And we know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit, at the direction of the Father, for the purpose of the Son's kingdom, moves to do His will through us. And He does it in many ways. And sometimes 
Christians don't even know they do the ministry they're supposed to do consciously. It's a natural course for them. I have a friend who is very generous and very giving. I think sometimes he loses track of the fact that he is serving God through his giving. So no matter what it is, hospitality, giving, service, no matter what it is, the Holy Spirit moves us to do those things. Sometimes we do it unconsciously. We just do it because it is what we do. Again, over the last over the last few weeks, as I have been contemplating things, a longtime friend of mine contacted me several weeks ago now, but I think I'm going to use a less precise terms from now on. So recently, a longtime friend contacted me, and she found some clarity in her life. And that clarity is the truth that she is and has been, actually since I've known her, a missionary. She's always wanted to be a missionary, and she always has been, but because she hasn't gone to the places she thought she would go, and in the circumstances of her life are not what she thought they would be, she still is a missionary, and she realized that. It came to her, like I said recently, and it was a delight for her soul to recognize that and to see clearly that her service to the world through her evangelistic heart, is the truth, and she has been doing missionary work. Like I said, just not in the places she thought. And it was also a joy that her service truly ripples through the world in the lives of her children. And so I would just like to encourage you today, Julie, as it pertains to your children, I've been using this phrasing a lot, don't sit down till the cooking's done, things aren't over. She is an ambassador for Christ. And that clarity has given her a ton of peace and joy. And I know, actually, as I have known for a long time and probably should have should have encouraged her in this previous, but she will one day hear, well done, good and faithful slave, enter into the joy of your master, which is what we long for as Christians. I know that was an odd opening. Well, at least a little bit odd for me. But the seriousness of today's message and my meditation on it and these last couple of weeks, like I've mentioned, has made me a little nostalgic. And that led me to my thoughts of a friend who's now far away, but who is blessed. So thank you for indulging me a little bit. And I am humbled and thankful for God-centered friends that have blessed my life. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. We do thank you that it is a beautiful day. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You are holy God, but you are not the God most people think of. You are creator, father, eternal king, humble servant, Christ, our beautiful, our beautiful sacrifice, our compassionate Lord, and the Holy Ghost are our indwelling assurance, the promise that we will see eternal life. I see in thine eyes the object of thy affection, thy chosen ones, all of thy chosen ones all around the world, in complete wonder, holy God, that I am one of them. None of us deserve it, but each of us feels most acutely the fact that we don't deserve your grace and your mercy, which is why it's called grace and mercy. And through that, you have given us salvation. As David would say, my sins are ever before me. My inadequacies are ever before me. 
but I can rejoice as David did and as Julie should and as all of my beloved friends all over the world can. We can rejoice that we are part of thy beloved. And Lord Jesus, in humility, I fall on my face for those mercies, undeserved as they are. I lift up the cup of salvation and confess that thou art my only rock and my stronghold. I do thank you for your forgiveness and your mercies, your sanctification, your justification, holy God, everything that makes us Christ, including in Christ, including quickening our spirits so that we seek you through prayer sincerely. Today, Holy Spirit, I do pray you would give me the words through your word and that you would inform our conversation so that we can pour out our hearts to you and learn in sincerity that our conversation is meant to be sincere before you and nothing less than that. Make a faithful people who pray in faith cultivate our humble relationship with thee. Bring us low so that we can come up to pray and lift up holy hands. Thank you for your forgiveness and again your sacrifice. Help us to plea, Lord, from our souls out that we would have that close communion with thee. Father, the only begotten Son and the Holy Spirit sent to sanctify and indwell us. We just bless you for that and thank you, Lord Jesus, and lift up our hearts in adoration because of that. In thy most holy name, we fall on our faces. We're in thy presence, and we pray to see thy work in our lives. Thank you for this time. Thank you again for your mercies. Visit us today. Humble us if we need humbled. Draw us close as we draw close to you, and teach us to come into your presence, not only boldly, but with all integrity and sincerity. We pray this in the merciful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There are several times in the English translations of the New Testament that we do not get, or the translators seemingly didn't get the precise meaning in the original language of some words. The examples of these are Luke 19.41, Mark 7.35, Mark 8.12. Those are just three examples. And because I'm so darn smart, I told you those things. I know these things, so I was able to tell you. And actually, if you've been listening for even a few minutes today, if this is the first time, you know that that's not at all the case. I'm not darn smart. And I didn't know these things before a few weeks ago. I recently, there's my word again, read a little treatise titled The Emotional Life of Our Lord. The theologian B.B. Warfield, who you may or may not heard of, wrote that little book, or treatise. It wasn't a book. But some of the passages he talks about in that book leave us wondering, did the original evangelists, that's what he called the writers of the New Testament, really mean the angry expressions that they attributed to Jesus our Savior? Warfield explains Jesus' anger. So in those times, those verses I read to you and a couple more that are coming up, His anger, really sincere anger, was not directed at the men and women in the passages, but because of death and the devil, which made his creation, men and women, so sad and desperate. And those are my words. But here's what Warfield, this is how he says it. And inside inside this quote, you'll get the state of mind he's talking about. Quote, The state of mind in which this sharp conflict went on 
is described by a term the fundamental implication of which is agitation, disquietude, perplexity, end quote. So that's the, that's the state of mind that these words describe about Jesus in the passages that I read to you. Quoting back now from Warfield, quote, This perturbation of soul these three times attributed by John to Jesus, 11.33, 12.27, and 13.21, and always as expressing the emotions that conflict with death stirred in him, end quote. I'm not sure I read that, but that agitation, that perturbation of soul that he talks about, that Jesus had in those verses earlier, and then in John 11, 33, 12, 27, and 13, 21, describes how Jesus was feeling. He goes on, let's quote again, quote, The anger roused in him by the sight of the distress into which death had plunged Mary and her companions, 1133, the anticipation of his own betrayal to death, 1321, the clearly realized approach of his death, 1227, threw him inwardly into a profound agitation. It was not always the prospect of his own death, 1227 and 1321, but equally the poignant realization of what death meant for others. And that's John 11:33. That had the power to disquiet him. So in talking about Jesus' emotions, he gets to this anger. And that's what we've just read about. Pretty powerful stuff. Now I mention that not only because I like to share new and profound concepts with everybody, as I learn them, I like to share them, but to justify this here episode that we're going through. I need the Holy Spirit to often remind me why I do the podcast. There is no monetary advantage to this. I don't ever ask money. I don't run commercials. I don't do any of that because, like Paul, I'm constrained to do, to do what I do, the teaching of prayer, and I am delighted that I can do it without having to look to sources to sustain what I do. It's a gift of God. It's a great gift of God. And of course, by his grace, we are trying to help everyone, all God's people, to a growing, biblical, dynamic, sincere, soul-satisfying prayer life. But my soul has been troubled. I have had a little bit of that agitation the last few months. It's been, it's been going on for a while. And the reason it's been going on because is because in times of economic upheaval and trouble, such as this pandemic and the strife in my culture right now, there are a set of false teachers. They're around all the time, but they take a step up during these times because they want to take advantage of the unsaved or even loose theologians and make money off them by prom- by promising them some secret, magical, mystical prayer which will guarantee to reverse all sickness or to bring people money, all the money they need or whatever they need, all the stuff they need. And when I hear these teachings and I see them cycle up, it vexes my soul. And it has been troubling my soul the last few weeks. So I wanted to go over this most critical principle in prayer. And we have talked about it before. Forgive me, or if you're new, you may run onto it as you look into back episodes. But the reality is, prayer is not a formula. It's not a magic set of words. 
It's not an incantation, which if you say it just the right way, will bring you whatever you ask. It's not releasing to the universe what you want and having the universe give it back to you. In the balance of probabilities, you are asking for God's will, but you're not precisely sure what it should be, and it's not going to be exactly what you think we've talked about before. You cannot manipulate God through prayer, and it's not his promise to you that you'll always be healthy, rich, the fastest on the track team, or that you'll get a 2014 Corvette in your garage in a couple weeks. It's in none of those three, none of those things. Prayer is, as we have talked about, our communion with a holy God. It is communion with our God, creator, redeemer, who is love, compassionate, merciful, gracious, the only true God, who is also wise, who gives us eternal life, and has set out, the Bible says, our days set before us. And he is going to do his will. He lets us participate. He lets us pray. We know he answers our prayers. But when we are tempted to think that it is some kind of trickery to get him to do what we want to do, or we expect the answer to be yes all the time, we are wrong. A quick hearkening back. Sometimes it's yes exactly the way we pray it. Sometimes yes, it's it's yes with a little twist. Sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait. And our souls, in sincerity as we talk to him, we do need to also be sincere as we pray. If prayer is not in integrity, you pouring out your hearts and your souls and your thoughts and me the same way, truthfully to God, it is nothing. Again, if your prayers are not sincere from your heart and soul and what you need, it's actually nothing. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon called Order and Argument in Prayer, has this paragraph. He's talking about Job. Quote, In Job's uttermost extremity, he cried after the Lord. The longing desire of an afflicted child is once more to see his father's face. His first prayer is not, Oh, that I might be healed from the disease which now festers in every part of my body, nor even, Oh, that I might see my children restored from the jaws of the grave and my property once more brought from the land of the spoiler. But the first and uppermost cry is, Oh, that I knew where I might find him who is my God. End quote for a minute. Job wasn't asking to be released. He was asking to get closer to God. Spurgeon goes on, quote, that I might come even to his seat. God's children run home when the storm comes on. When the storm comes on, it is the heaven-born instinct of a gracious soul to seek shelter from all the ills beneath the wings of Jehovah, Yahweh, we would say, or the Lord. He that made his refuge God might serve as the title of true believer, end quote. And that's again from Spurgeon. Especially when we're in trouble, we desire him. And that's what we need to be doing from a sincere heart. And then he goes on. And the gracious, when he talks about the heaven-born instinct of a gracious soul, he's talking about a soul that's been given grace. Because he goes on, quote, The gracious soul addresses itself with a double zeal to find out God and sends up its groans, its entreaties, its sobs and sighs to heaven more frequently and fervently. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. 
which of course was his text here. And he's describing what our heart should be when we go to God in prayer. There's a little song of confession in the midst of it. It talks about their sins, they're confessing their sins, the writer. And he or she says, prayers have been uttered from a prayerless heart and praise from praiseless lips. And so we all know that sometimes we come to God and we have wasted our time because we haven't been praying. We have been praying mindlessly, thinking about other things. We all know those foibles of being human, and that happens to us. We get preoccupied. But truly, again, if our prayers are not given from a sincere, believing heart, a heart that believes that our audience is God, we are actually doing nothing. Aside from our weaknesses and our thoughtless moments, if we utter our prayers to God to manipulate or coerce or trick Him, or think by a formula we are going to move Him to get exactly what we want, or believe that if we give money to these false teachers, it's not a prayer. Even if we buy a poster with a Bible verse, and you pray, and you think all you have to do is say, Lord, increase my borders, and you're going to get exactly what you're looking for and your borders increased you're not truly praying. We need to be pouring out our hearts to him. And we can use others' words in that. We're going to look at that here in a second. But they have to be your emotions, your feelings as you're praying them, or moved to them as you're praying them. In in 2 Samuel 22, 7, Paul says, not Paul, David says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God. And you can use those words. They need to be your true distresses in integrity. Psalm 51, 1 through 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to thee I do pray. In the morning, O Lord, thou wilt hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer and eagerly watch. That's the condition of our heart when we're truly praying. The most critical truth we are talking about today, the most critical principle, which we all at times violate, is this. We need to be praying to consciously knowing we're in the presence of God and praying to the God who loves us and praying what we need, not by rule or by rote. In that same sermon later, Spurgeon says, quote, ask for what you now need and, as a rule, keep to the present need. Ask for your daily bread, what you want now. Ask for that. Ask for it plainly, as before God, who does not regard your fine expressions, and to whom your eloquence and oratory will be less than nothing and vanity. Thou art before the Lord, let thy words be few, but let thy heart be fervent. And of course, speak with your words. You might be a person of eloquence, eloquence and oratory. Then talk to God that way, but let them be sincere. That's not what moves him. Our fine expressions, as Spurgeon says, are not what move him. What moves him? Our needs and our love and our sincerity and our integrity is what moves his soul. We're going to end with a little prayer. I'm going to pray through parts of Psalm 69. In humility, Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I bow before you. I do pray, save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. There are times and things and even events and even sins in my own life that are a threat. Through my flesh, I have sunk sunk deep into the mire, and there is no foothold there. There's no one to trust but you. 
I have come into deep waters. Sometimes the flood of this life and its sorrows overwhelm me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is parched. I'm done. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Sweet Jesus, we do thank you that you put us into those positions at times when we're deep in the mire, and all we can do is look up and call out to you, and we will call out to you even when our throat is parched and our eyes fail, and we're just tired of our cries. We're tired of our own voice, holy God, but we cannot stop. It is thou who knowest our folly. My wrongs are not hidden from thee. None of our wrongs are hidden from thee. May my soul and everyone who waits for thee not be ashamed, especially through me, O Lord. Adonai, God of hosts, may those who seek thee come to you, holy God, and not be dishonored through anything they hear here or hear or anything through my life. Move in all our lives so that we would be edification to others. Again, Lord, I am weeping in my soul with fasting. When I prayed in front of some people, it became a reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to many people around me, saying loser and failure. Holy God, but that doesn't matter. As for me, as for us, our prayer is to thee at an acceptable time. Thou art the Lord, the God of our salvation. In thy loving kindness, thou wilt answer us with thy saving truth. Deliver us from that mire, even if we put ourselves in it. Do not let us sink. Deliver us from our foes. Deliver us from the deep waters. Deliver us from our own weaknesses. Answer us, holy God. We look to thy loving kindness. We know it is good. Thy compassion is great. Turn to us. Do not hide thy face from any of thy slaves. This is a time of distress, holy God, all around the world. Answer us quickly. Draw near to us. Draw near to our souls. You have redeemed us. You have ransomed us because of the enemy of death. Keep working. You know all our adversaries. You know all our troubles. You know the evil leaders that we have. And yet our own reproach has broken our hearts. It makes us sick. And we look around at humanity for sympathy and comfort. But there is none. You are our only comfort true comfort. When we are afflicted and in pain, may thy salvation set us securely on high. Keep us there only long enough to teach us. Even in the midst of that affliction, we praise thy name, we sing thy songs, and we will magnify thee with thanksgiving. And it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hooves. We humble our souls, Lord Jesus, because the the humble have seen thy working and are glad. Everyone who seeks Elohim, let your heart revive. For Yahweh hears the needy and does not despise those who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise thee and the seas and everything that moves in them. Make us follow thy word and not come to thee with a deceitful heart, but in the integrity of our souls, even like Abraham, when he said, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, or the father of the dying Son, I believe, help thou my unbelief, or the sinner in the temple, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in these troubled times, Lord Jesus, as we look around us and are not sure what to do, we even ask that you would help us in mercy to cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
We present our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. Let us come in sincerity and in intention to glorify thee. We commit this time to you. Teach us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I do appreciate you listening. I do appreciate your patience as we have been going through the last couple of weeks. Today in our benediction, I would just say, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And then I would remind you, lastly, of one thing, as we are encouraged to pray for one another. J.C. Ryle said this, Never, never may we forget that if we would do good to the world, our first duty is to pray. Let's pray for one another. As always, Thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing from you at www.frponprayer.com or freerangeprayer at gmail.com. And for all your voiceover needs, go to richarddurrington.com or durringtonr at gmail.com. Keep your dial here for our next episode. And if you have a dial, you just might need an upgrade. For Fred and I, have yourself a prayerfully fun-filled day.